listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Well, this morning we are diving into week four of a series that we've been preaching all month long here at DCC called The Missing Piece. The Missing Piece. And this is our Sabbath series. If you're unfamiliar, maybe you haven't been around for very long here at DCC, or maybe this is your first week. Every July, in, uh, we, we declare kind of a month of Sabbath. There's nothing biblical about the month of July. It's just in the early days of DCC, uh, this was just kind of our way of powering down the engines a little bit, ministry-wise and allowing us to catch our breath before a very busy fall season of ministry. And so every July, we take off some regularly scheduled programs. We don't do any Wednesday night development groups. All of those kind of things are all on pause. We come together, we worship together, we pray together, all of those things on Sundays. And we'll pick up all of our regularly scheduled stuff next month, but this is our opportunity to have Sabbath. So through this series, The Missing Piece, we've been talking about Sabbath. And a different staff pastor is preaching every week of this series. Pastor Rocky started out by really kind of laying the foundation of Sabbath from the book of Genesis, and then Pastor BJ did an amazing job talking about the law itself in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and then last week, Pastor Scott did such an amazing job getting us into the New Testament and reminding us that the Sabbath helps us to remember, it helps us to give thanks, and it helps us to stay humble. And so this morning, we're going to continue our journey in Mark chapter 3. I wanted to give you a moment to get there before we're there. But Mark chapter 3, we're going to continue our journey and exploration of the Sabbath. And this text that we're reading this morning in Mark chapter 3 is about somebody that met Jesus on the Sabbath and their life was forever changed. And I believe that that can be true for all of us, that if we meet Jesus on the Sabbath, that life change can happen in us. And so Mark chapter three, starting in verse one, again he entered the synagogue, this is speaking of Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath so they might accuse him, that is speaking of the Pharisees. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, that it is living, it is life-giving, and it is active in our lives. And so, God, we just pray that as we dive in and discover more about Sabbath rest, God, that you would speak to us and that you would give us that peace that passes all understanding. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the early days of DCC, uh, and when I say early days, I mean like the first day of DCC, there was only one staff member. Pastor Rocky planted this church in 2006. He was the only staff member at the time, and he kind of set the pace for what the days of the week would look like for a DCC staff member, and I'm grateful for that because he set aside Monday as the day off, as our day of rest, as our staff as our Sabbath, and he takes that very seriously. Pastor Rocky has really instilled a deep respect for not allowing anything to encroach, any work to encroach on Mondays for our staff, and it's a huge blessing. In fact, he takes this so seriously that in the first few months of working at DCC, 
forever ago, like 15 years ago. Um, I remember we were still in our, in our little building that is now Greenfield Preschool, and our offices were in that building, and it just so happened that one Monday, I had forgotten something in my office, and I needed to swing by and pick it up. I was not going to work. I promise you, I was not going to work. I knew the rules and I knew not to be there working on a Monday. And it just so happened in that five minute stretch of time, guess who happens to drive by the church and see my vehicle in the parking lot? And so Pastor Rocky sends me this text and it's two words and it says, go home, that's it. He just said, go home, not in a mean way, not in a condescending way, just in a, hey, we take Sabbath seriously here, and we are not going to allow that to creep in. And so that is really set aside for us because what would normally be maybe a Sunday for you is your Sabbath. For a church staff member, Sunday is not Sabbath, right? I mean, when the Commodore sang easy like a Sunday morning, they were not serving on a church staff. I promise you that. I promise you that. And so Monday's that day that we set aside as a staff to do things that bring life to us, not to work, not to toil, but to be renewed, refreshed, to bring life. And that's different for everybody because everybody enjoys different things. You might enjoy something that I don't. If you're big into exercise, that might be a way that you enjoy Sabbath. If you're not into exercise, that's torture on Sabbath. Don't do that on Sabbath if that's something that you don't enjoy doing. One thing for me that might feel like work for you but is not for me is cutting the grass. I love cutting the grass. There's something very simple and basic about the grass being really high mowing it and then it all being one length. And there's just this satisfaction, instant gratification of just like, oh, like there's just, it's, it's something mindless for me. I don't have to think about it. The lawnmower is so loud that the rest of the world is really quiet. If you know, then you know. And so I enjoy that time, I really do, most of the time. But Monday this last week, just a few days ago or, or six days ago, I looked out my window on a Monday and I realized that the grass was high and that it was just gonna keep getting higher with all the rain that we've been getting. And so I said to myself, this is the day I've gotta cut the grass, but I was not going to enjoy it, I can tell you that. It, I was just, I had a lot of things on my mind, not bad things, not crazy, overly overwhelmed, busy, but just busy and kind of tired and I didn't wanna do it, but I'm like, I kinda of gotta do it. And so I kind of forced myself into cutting the grass. And so I get on the mower and I'm going around. I'm not happy about it. I'm just kind of like mumbling under my breath the whole time, you know. And then I see the storm clouds start to roll in, you know. If there's anything more depressing than being on the lawnmower when the storm clouds come in, realizing you might not be able to finish. For me, that is like that I could not sleep that night if half the yard got mowed, but I had to stop for rain. A little peek into all the messed up stuff in my mind, but I could not do it. Anybody else? You're with me. If you can't finish a project like that, it's going to mess with you. And so I, I pray the most sincere prayer that you ever pray when you're on a lawnmower and you see rain clouds. God, please, if you love me at all. 30 minutes, that's all I'm asking, God. You can make the heavens open up after I get the lawn done. But 30 minutes, God, please, in all of your sovereignty, please allow me these 30 minutes of dry, no wet grass moments. And while you're at it, God, since you're gonna give me 30, let's do 45 so I can edge the driveway and trim around the house and get all the grass clippings off of the driveway too. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And wouldn't you know it, God granted that prayer and it, the rain held off and everything was fine. And so I finish up, I'm still kind of grumbling under my breath about it, still have like all these things on my mind, I'm not really enjoying it. And finally, I, I get done, I put the lawnmower up and I grab the leaf blower and the trimmer, which is all battery powered. I grab a battery, I put it in there, I pull the trigger, nothing. 
So I'm like, okay, well, that battery's dead. And I go to get the next battery. I put it in there, squeeze the trigger, nothing. And then I remembered. Last week, when I mowed the grass, I was in a rush to put everything up, and so I did not place the batteries on the chargers. This is how awesome it was to realize it. I looked over there, all the batteries are next to the chargers, right? Next to the chargers, not on the chart, next to the chargers. And so I had no way of getting the rest of the lawn work done that day. And don't you for a second think that the irony was lost on me, that okay, God, I'm coming out here kind of drained to do the yard on the week that I'm speaking about Sabbath at DCC, and all of a sudden you're giving me an object lesson about batteries being drained. I get it. And so I put the stuff up and I went inside, right? I realized I learned my lesson. But how many times do we get to that place in our life when, when we know what we're supposed to do, we know that we're supposed to take that rest, we know that we're supposed to get back on the charger, so to speak, but we choose not to, we get close to it, and we may come to church on Sunday, but we don't really get a Sabbath rest, and then we feel drained, we feel worn out. What do we say about a battery when it doesn't work anymore? Not a trick question. It's dead. Like apparently everybody in this room today. It's dead. We feel like that sometimes, not maybe on the surface, but in our soul because we are busy and life happens and things in our schedule start piling up and we get busier and busier and busier until we look around and we feel drained, we feel worn out, we feel dead. And maybe it's, it's, it's not bad work that's happening. Maybe it's good work. Maybe it's even work that's worthy of working for in your occupation or your job. The Bible says that we should work as we are working unto the Lord. And so there's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, we are called to work hard. We are called by God to do difficult things. We are called by God to invest in relationships. We're called by God to do all of those things that have a tendency to drain our batteries, but we're not called only to do those things. You see, we are called to work hard, but we are also called into a rhythm of Sabbath, a rhythm of work and rest. We need Sabbath because if not, we get worn down, we get drained. And maybe if you had to describe the state of your soul right now, you've not put language around it, you've not really defined it in your own mind, but if you had to describe the state of your soul, you would be very much like that dead battery I tried to put into my lawn equipment last week. You're worn out, you're drained, you're dead. And maybe it's not on a physical level. Maybe physically you feel okay and you're even alert, you're not like exhausted physically. It might be happening because of what else is going on in life, but, but there's this much deeper level because we were not designed or created to function with all work and no rest. We were designed for Sabbath, work six days and rest one. As has already been read through this series, but I think needs or, or can, can be read again to emphasize the point in Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, when the, the law, the commandment of Sabbath was given to the Israelites, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
That is the command that is handed to us, that our rhythm of life that God has instituted from creation, when he created for six days and rested on the seventh day, he started and created a rhythm for us as humanity that we should follow that rhythm. That when we step outside of that rhythm, then things start to go crazy. Things start to go sideways on us. We start to get worn out. Our souls start to get fatigued. We start to die a little bit on the inside when things are not following that rhythm of Sabbath that has been instituted. And I know that, I I get it, listen, I know and I understand and there's no judgment because I know that some of you as you're hearing this and you've been even sitting maybe through some of these other Sabbath uh, uh, teachings through this month of Sabbath and you've just been pushing back the whole time. Like, yeah, that sounds great, but real life is I gotta make ends meet. Real life is I gotta pay bills. Real life is I have to take all the overtime that I can and I can't afford to not work seven days a week. Sabbath sounds great and maybe one day when I'm financially well enough then I'll be able to do that. Or maybe you're in the room and you're pushing back on the idea of Sabbath, this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest because you're like that high performer high output, you are just wired that way, you run at a speed that not many other people can keep up with, and I get that. I think that some people are just wired that way. God bless you and bless your heart, but you are gonna outperform other people doing the same things because you have a work ethic that's been instilled, you have gifts, you have talents to be able to do some of those things, and your pushback might not be, hey, I can't afford to do it. It might just be, I don't need to do it. Like, I'm okay, seriously, I'm good. I can work all the time and I don't feel depleted. I don't feel worn out. However, that's not the way that it really works because what will end up happening is the wheels will start coming off some way, shape, or form or another. Something is going to happen. Something is gonna break down right? There's a relationship that needs tended to that you're not going to have time to tend to if we're not following the rhythm of Sabbath. It could be a relationship with your spouse. It could be a relationship with your children or with family members or with friends, but it's not going to be tended to, and so it's going to start to falter. It's going to start to fall apart. Or maybe in your occupation, in your job, you just push it and push it and push it and push it until you're no good to anybody there or you're just lacking in these relationships or your calendar is so incredibly full, there is zero margin for anything. And so what are the first sort of activities that start dropping off the calendar when your calendar is that full? Date night starts dropping off the calendar because that's an easy one to justify. Going to your small group starts dropping off the calendar. Coming to church on Sundays, worshiping in community with other people and building relationships that last for eternity. These are the things that start to break down. And maybe even if it's not on the external and maybe you're keeping all those plates spinning while refusing to observe the rhythm of Sabbath, then what tends to happen is a much more subtle but deadly attitude of our heart that we start to feel like we don't need God to get anything done that we're getting done. And pride starts to grow in our heart and we start to take all the accomplishments and all the accolades and all of that stuff and we start believing that we don't need God to help us accomplish anything at all. Something will break if we don't live in rhythm of Sabbath. The late evangelist Vance Havner once wrote, if you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while because God's design and his desire for us, his will for us is not to live worried and hurried and worn down and burnt out. It's not. 
It's to live a life and a life more abundantly. But I can tell you that the enemy of our souls, his directive for us is to live exactly the opposite. It's to live a life that is distracted, a life that's depleted, a life that's drained, a life that is no life at all because he wants it to end in death. Because John 10.10, Jesus' words here says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the only reason that the enemy of our soul exists is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I heard this saying from a preacher a long time ago, and I don't even know who to attribute it to because I've heard it so many times, but if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If he can't get to you and get you to commit these huge sins that are gonna get your life way off track, he's gonna try and get you busy enough to where you just get distracted in the little things and the little things turn into big things and before you know it, the wheels are coming off because that rhythm of Sabbath is not instituted in your life. However, that's not the end of the verse. The thief comes to steal to kill and destroy. But what does Jesus say? I came that they may have life, and not just life, life more abundantly. Not just, I'm gonna make it through, but it's this life and then life more abundantly, better than we can hope, think, or imagine the word of God says. And so that is why Jesus came. That is God's desire for us, for us to flourish, for life Life in our marriage and life in our relationship with our children and life with our friends and our family, life in our occupations and life in our body, that is God's will for us. And because that's God's desire for us, everything that God invites us into and commands us to do, he does so because he knows that it's going to give life to us. A lot of times we look at the things that God asks for us to do especially Sabbath, and we feel like, man, if I would make Sabbath happen, that would drain me. It is going to take a lot of effort and energy just to do that, when in reality, God is saying, listen, I'm a loving God, and I'm giving you this gift of Sabbath. I want you to take this gift and use this gift because it's gonna give you life. Not because I wanna make your life miserable or I want to make you stop the progress of your occupation or the momentum of your job or anything like that. I, you need to have this time because it is gonna give life to you. Sabbath is no exception to the invitations and the commandments that God gives us that bring us life. Because Sabbath is that loving invitation from a loving father because the father God, his heart for us is life. And Sabbath, the heart of Sabbath, listen, it is not about rules. It is not about regulations. The heart of Sabbath is about life. The heart of Sabbath is to bring and give life. The Sabbath is for healing and for restoration and bringing life to places in our lives that are drained and dead, our minds, our souls, our bodies. So it should come as no surprise then to any of us that when it comes to the Sabbath, Jesus loved doing miracles on the Sabbath. It should be no shock to us, right? If the Sabbath, the heart of the Sabbath is about life, then it should not be a shock to us that Jesus chose the Sabbath. Throughout the Gospels, over seven different miracles were performed on the Sabbath. Anything from lowering a high fever to casting out demons and everything in between, including the text that we read this morning from Mark chapter 3 where Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and there is a man that he encounters there that morning, that, that time when he is spending his time at what we would consider church, but at the synagogue. And he shows up on Sabbath directly in the crosshairs 
of the Pharisees, the religious rulers of that time that very much disagreed with a lot of the things that Jesus had to say and think and do when it came to the Sabbath. Because you see, the Pharisees, these religious men, they knew a lot about Scripture. They did. And they knew a lot about the Levitical law. They knew a lot about the commands of God. They knew a lot about the Torah, these 613 laws that were God-given to mankind. They knew a lot about those, but those laws were not enough for them. And so over time, they developed what's considered the Mishnah, this oral law, this spoken law. It's not given from God. It's a man-made law with over 1,500 extra laws attached to those laws. Essentially, what they did is they said, okay, God, these are the the boundaries that you've given us. We're going to set up another fence around those boundaries so we don't get close to your boundaries. And then wait, there's more. We're going to do more than that too. And then so they just added these rules on top of rules on top of rules. And so when they looked at Sabbath, they didn't look at it as the the singular simple command of don't do work one day out of the week. They looked at it and said, well, let's break down work into 39 different categories. And then let's talk about how we're not allowed to do those things on the Sabbath. And so when they saw Jesus showing up and breaking some of the not God rules, man-made rules, they got very offended. And they would harass him about it all the time to the point where the only thing that made the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the time more upset with Jesus than how he observed the Sabbath was him claiming to be the Messiah. That's it. That's the only thing that you find in through the Gospels that got them madder than how Jesus treated Sabbath was when he showed up and said, hey, I'm the Savior, I'm God's Son. They could not figure that out. They couldn't fit that into the framework of the religion that they had in their minds, and so they hated that the most, but a second place and a close second was how he treated the Sabbath because he was reinstituting. Jesus was reinstituting the heart of Sabbath, what man made about rules and laws and became oppressive. Jesus said, that's not what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not about adding things to your life and adding burdens to your life. The Sabbath is about relieving those burdens from your life. It's about bringing life to you. It's a breath of fresh air, not a bunch of rules that you have to follow or else. And so Jesus shows up on the scene It really just kind of blows up their whole idea of what Sabbath should look like, and they're not happy with them. But Jesus is Jesus, and he doesn't care what they think because he knows the truth, and he's going to say the truth because he is the truth. He is the life, and he's not afraid of them. Even though they're plotting to kill him, they're looking for a reason. Just give me a reason, Jesus, and we are going to have you on that cross soon enough. Even though they're doing that, he shows up on their turf, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, knowing how they feel about it. And he shows up not to impress anybody with his biblical knowledge and his scholarly uh, ideas and theology about the scriptures. He doesn't show up to try to impress anybody. He doesn't show up timid and scared about what might happen to him. What does he show up to do? He shows up to bring life to somebody on the Sabbath. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus brings life when we meet him in the Sabbath. And so Jesus shows up to the synagogue. And when he shows up to the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand. We don't know much about this man. We're not given a name. We're not given any station in life. We're not given any backstory, any family history. We don't know anything except this man was in the synagogue that day. He showed up to church with a withered hand. Now, the Greek word here for withered, it comes from a root word of zeros, which means dried and shrunken, to be dried and shrunken. And the tense of this verb in the Greek actually suggests that the man's hand had suffered some sort of illness or injury. Essentially, 
the, the, whatever happened to this man, he was not born with this, this dry, shrunken, you know, withered hand. Something had happened in his life to cause this hand to not work properly. And in Luke chapter six, when Luke tells this story, he mentions that it's the man's right hand, which is a big thing in society then because that is the hand that was, that was dominant. That was the hand that you worked with and a man in that culture and that society with a right hand that did not work was kind of looked down upon. He was probably marginalized. And so him showing up to the church, he could show up to the synagogue, but he couldn't worship in the temple. He wasn't allowed in there because he was considered unclean. And so this guy is not like an upper echelon member of society. He is what Jesus spends most of his time with when he's here on the earth. He's on the sidelines. He's marginalized. He's one of the not good enoughs. And so we see that the Jesus shows up and this man is there with a withered hand, dried up, shrunken. And I just wonder how many of us can relate to this man. Maybe not physically, but I wonder like in our hearts, in our soul, in our emotions, in our mind, do we ever feel like we're at this place where that could describe where we are, withered? Like our soul is, is dried up. Our soul is, is not functioning properly. It's drained, it's worn out. And maybe we didn't start that way. Maybe our lives started great, but there was something that happened just like this man. We don't know what happened to him. There was some illness or injury. And maybe for you, it's just that you've been pressing through the rhythm of Sabbath for so long and you're withered in your soul and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're drained. And so that's why your soul is feeling withered this morning. Or maybe for you, it's because of something, an injury to your soul, so to speak. Grief that you're walking through and living right now that is very, very real. Offense that happened, something that happened to you. Maybe it's the result of just busyness and an overbooked and overscheduled life, but the reality is we didn't start this way, but as we're here, sitting here this morning, we're saying, yeah, there's something in my life that's withered. For sure, I get it. I get what that guy was feeling in that moment. I get it. I get showing up to church showing up to the synagogue and feeling withered like we don't have what we need to make it work and being desperate. Is there a place in your life where you feel that way this morning? Is there a place in your life where you feel, yeah, that's me, I am withered? The amazing thing about this story is that, that even though this man would have been marginalized by society, when Jesus shows up at the synagogue, Again, he doesn't go to try to impress anybody. He doesn't go timid and afraid and scared. What does he do? He recognizes this man right away. Said that he went to the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand and immediately Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He walks in this building full of all these people that hate him and wanna kill him, full of all these other people that probably are looking for healing and then you got people in between wanting and needing Jesus for a lot of things or hating and wanting Jesus to die for other things in this politically charged, emotional moment, what does Jesus do? He walks into the synagogue and he sees the man that's marginalized. He sees and is drawn to the person who has a need that only he can fulfill. He walks into this place, doesn't address anybody else at the moment and he sees the man with the withered hand and he says, come 
to me. Jesus sees him and he is drawn to him. Listen to me. If you walked in here today and you feel like there's a part of you that is withered, Jesus is not afraid of that. Jesus is not embarrassed by you. Jesus is not waiting for you to pay your penance because of the things that you did before you can get it right. Jesus sees you and he is drawn to that need in your life that only he can fulfill. That is the nature, that is the character of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior is that he will overlook all of these other things, people trying to impress him and people trying to kill him to get to you because your need is paramount. Your need is important. Your need is valid. He sees you. He is drawn to that and he is calling you to him today. He said to that man with the withered hand, come to me. And as that happens, the man apparently comes up to him and he uses this moment as a teaching opportunity for those Pharisees that hate him. And he says, hey, is it better to do good or bad on the Sabbath? This really rhetorical, sarcastic question for the Pharisees, which if you know anything about me, that speaks to my heart and my soul and justifies all of my sarcasm. That's, I can't theologically back that up, but that's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is like, hey, I want any of you to answer this question the wrong way. Is Sabbath essentially, in the Andrew paraphrase, is Sabbath about life or death, guys? Smart guys. I added that part. It's about life or death. Who's going to be like, yeah, now, Jesus, it's about death, right? Nobody's going to do that in that environment, and so they are silent. They're silenced in that moment. And so now you get this scene where it's Jesus and this man with the withered hand. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, as he called himself and as he is. The Lord of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath with a man with a need. There is something that is not right in his body. It is withered. It is dead. It is not functioning properly. And in the middle of that scene, he asks for this man to do something that we read and skip through, but has deep significant value in the story. He asks for this man to do what? To stretch his hand out. Now, knowing what we know about this man's condition and what that would have said about his station in life, that is probably an embarrassing thing to ask. It would have been an insult for anybody else to show up and say, hey, let me see your hand. Let let me see the source of the reason that you're on the margins of society. Let me see the reason why you're one of the not good enoughs and you can't worship at the temple and all of these things that you can't do. Show me why you're not good enough. And in a moment of vulnerability, Jesus asks him to be vulnerable. He says, listen, I, I see you. I see the the withered part of your body right now. I see that withered hand. I'm not passing over it. I'm not glancing over it. I believe that Sabbath is to institute life and to bring renewal and healing. And so he asks this man to, to step out in vulnerability and to stretch out his hand. What a bold move for this man. But when we're desperate for healing, vulnerability doesn't really matter anymore, right? I mean, let's be honest. Can we just be honest for a second? If your marriage is falling apart, you stop caring about what other people think and you're gonna do whatever it takes to get it right. You're gonna go counseling. You're gonna go do all of these things. You're gonna take more time off. You're gonna do all of those things when it's all falling apart because I don't care who knows. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the whole pride thing. Now it's just vulnerability because I need help. And when we get to those places in our life where we are withered, sometimes we have the tendency just to push it back down with pride and say, no, 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 it'll be fine. I'll power through it, especially if we're worn out. 
Especially if we're working not in the rhythm of Sabbath, but we're just pushing, 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 pushing our minds and our souls and our bodies so hard. There's a sense of pride that comes with that. Like, look what I can do. And so we push down that, that withered part of our soul that is crying out for healing and crying out for Jesus. When Jesus is saying, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be vulnerable with me. I'm here to heal you. I can do things for you. I can bring life to this situation, but I need you to stretch that vulnerable place out to me. I need you to be vulnerable in this moment. And Sabbath is a lot of things, but in this moment right here, Sabbath is the definition of vulnerability. Because what you have when you practice the Sabbath in your life is you are saying, listen, I'm gonna work as hard as I can for six days, but then for one day, I'm not doing anything. And it's vulnerable because essentially what you're saying is, hey, I trust that even though I'm not at work, work is still happening. And I trust that even though I'm not the one spinning the world right now, which happens to all of us, we all assume that we spin the world, and I take my hand off of it, guess what? We're not losing gravitational pull, guys. We're still on it. Everything's okay. We didn't fly off the face of the earth and everything is going to be fine. It is vulnerable for us in our schedule to build in that time for Sabbath because we are saying, God, I trust that you can do more with my one day than I can do with my six. And so I am, I'm vulnerable because I, don't, I, I can't be withered in those places in my life and function properly. And so when the man stretches out his hand, somewhere between the ask of Jesus to stretch out your hand and the description of what happens next, healing comes to this man. This man encounters Jesus on the Sabbath and raises his hand, stretches his hand out, and in the middle of that act of vulnerability, this man is healed. And when we are vulnerable and we admit that our souls have become withered in some places, that our mind has become withered in some places, that our emotions have become withered in some places, and that there's nothing that we can do to fix it, there's not another leadership book or productivity book or habit that we can institute or anything that we can power through and push on through that will do it. Jesus invites us to simply submit and surrender those things in vulnerability that we try to keep hidden. And as we stretch our withered heart in obedience to the Lord of the Sabbath, there is this deep work that happens. There is a deep healing that happens in the Sabbath, in the rhythm of Sabbath in our lives. You see, this man was changed because he met Jesus on the Sabbath. And I believe that that is the goal for all of us, that that's the invitation for you and for me, that if we will choose to live within the rhythm of Sabbath, that we will meet Jesus in the Sabbath as well and that he can change us. And so I ask again, are you feeling drained? Are you feeling dead? Are you feeling withered? Because the Sabbath is a day of life and restoration, and healing, and Jesus is the healer. Let me read these words of Jesus to you as an invitation that he extended to us in the book of Matthew, but allow these words not just to be words on a screen or on a phone or on a page, but allow these words to be the words of Jesus to you to serve as an invitation to you this morning. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come to me just like he did to the man in the synagogue that day. Come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. That is the goal, that is the heart of Sabbath, for us to take on the yoke of Jesus that is easy, that is light, that is not a burden for us to bear, but it is instead a blessing for us to live and live out. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 